0: Good morning, friends. Today's message um, is uh, being delivered here in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas. The title of our message is, He's God and We Are Not. So where does the spiritual life begin? Well, it all starts with this fundamental truth, God is God and we are not. Nothing is more basic than that. All spiritual reality begins with this truth, and if we skip this or ignore it or downplay it, nothing else, I'll say, will make much sense. In order to help us grasp this truth, I want to begin by surveying a number of Bible passages. The first law is so fundamental that I might easily find 300 verses that teach it. Here are just a few. Job 23.13 But he stands alone, and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. Now, Job understands that he cannot demand anything from the Lord. In and of himself, he has no power to change his awful condition, and he can't even demand a hearing to plead his cause, his case, to the Lord. God does what he wants, and Job is powerless to oppose him. Also in Job 42, too, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. This verse introduces the final chapter of Job's saga. He comes after God has given him a theology lesson and a final exam on creation, which, quite honestly, Job flunks miserably. He couldn't answer a single question. Now thoroughly humbled, he confesses that God is all-powerful. He does what he wants, and no one stands against him. This confession leads him to a deep repentance for his foolish questioning of God's plan. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The Lord of the universe does whatever he pleases. Whenever I read this verse, I want to stop and say, any questions? Psalm 135, verse 6. The Lord does whatever pleases him, in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. The psalmist goes on to list various proofs that God does what he wants. He makes clouds rise in the sky. He... Struck down the firstborn of Egypt, he sent signs and wonders, he struck down many nations. The conclusion of this psalm is a fivefold call for everyone to praise the Lord. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden truths. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. You know, when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had a dream he could not remember and did not understand, he eventually asked Daniel to help him. Daniel agreed, prayed to God, and the dream and its interpretation were revealed to him. These words are part of Daniel's response of praise to God. Now, I'm struck by the phrase, he knows what lies in darkness. I mean, he sets up kings and then dethrones them. He orders the times and seasons. He even sees the hidden things because, because the darkness is not dark to him. I want to run the story forward a little bit to Daniel chapter 4. When Nebuchadnezzar takes credit for the greatness of his kingdom, God struck him with a kind of insanity that made him think he was a beast of the field. For seven years he lived among the wild animals, and when he finally turned his heart to the Lord, his sanity was restored. This is part of his public praise to God. It comes in Daniel 4, verses 34 and 35 and 37. It says, Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now here's a pagan king who discovered the hard way the truth of God's sovereignty. To his credit, he does not hesitate to speak the truth once his sanity was restored. God does whatever he wants. You know, even the greatest human rulers are as nothing to him. No one can question what God does, everything God does is right, and the Lord knows how to humble the proud. It would be hard to find a clear statement of the first law in the entire Bible. Well, let's try Romans eleven, thirty three to thirty six. Oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This wonderful doxology comes at the end of Paul's presentation of the gospel as God's answer to man's sin in his presentation of God's future plans for Israel. No one could have foreseen how God would respond to human rebellion. No one gives God advice. No one can trace his path across the starry skies. God is never in debt to anyone for any reason. Everything is from him, everything is through him, and everything is to him. And he alone gets the glory. But Ephesians 1.11 In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This verse is one part of a very long sentence that begins with these words, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 11, Paul is praising God for choosing us in Christ according to his predetermined plan. Now you might translate the last part of the verse this way, He arranged everything so that all things are working out just as he planned a long time ago. Noted Pastor Tony Evans says everything in the universe is either caused by God or allowed by God. Nothing ever just happens and nothing is caused by someone or something outside of God's control. I mean, some things he directly causes, other things he allows to happen. But in all things, in heaven and on earth, and even the things that happen in hell, even the very acts of Satan are controlled by God. Martin Luther once said that the devil is God's lapdog. He can do nothing without God's permission. Let's go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. When Jesus returns to the earth, the whole world will clearly know what we know right now by faith. Our God reigns. He reigns over all things. He reigns in every situation. He reigns in the best and in the worst that happens to us. He reigns over his friends and even over his enemies. He reigns in heaven. He also reigns in hell. He reigns over those who doubt him and deny him. He reigns over those who follow other gods and other religions. Our God reigns. The world does not yet see it. Sometimes we have trouble believing it because we don't always see it either. But the truth remains and will not be changed. Our God reigns. You know, friends, as I stand back and consider all these marvelous verses, one fact jumps out at me and will not be ignored. Every time the Bible writers speak of God's sovereignty, it always leads them to praise. He does what he pleases. Praise the Lord. No one can oppose him. Shout for joy to the Lord. Everything God does is right. Hallelujah. How unsearchable is his wisdom. To God be the glory forever. His plan is working out perfectly. Praise be to God. Our God reigns. Let the people rejoice and be glad. If this truth does not fill our hearts with praise, then we either don't understand what the Bible says or we simply refuse to believe it. But the truth remains, whether we believe it or not, he is in charge of all things. Even when it looks like he's not ruling, he's ruling. When chaos appears, he's in charge of the chaos. When things start falling apart, he's in charge of the falling apart of those things. Theologians call this doctrine the sovereignty of God. You find it on every page of the Bible when the word sovereign means king or ruler or boss. God's sovereignty means that he's calling the shots in the universe. He's in charge of all things. Psalm 24 reflects this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And that's what I mean by the statement, God is God, we're not. He's the creator, we are his creatures. It's truly the most fundamental principle of the spiritual life. Until you understand this and submit yourself to it, nothing in life will work right. Every mistake you've ever made has come from forgetting who is God and who is not. I believe the first sin in the universe happened because Lucifer, that was an angel created by God who later became Satan, forgot who was God and who was not. Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14 seem to use poetic language to describe the very first act of rebellion against God. It says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I hope you notice those five I wills of Lucifer. I mean, when any created being attempts to become like the most high, the only possible result can be a severe judgment from God. When we decide to play God and run our little portion of the universe... We will not escape judgment either. At this point, I'd like to say a word about God's freedom. Although we talk a great deal about freedom, it's usually our personal freedom in view. We rarely think about God's freedom, yet that is the major part of the passages I just went through. When you come to the bottom line, God's freedom is the only true freedom in the universe. Every other freedom is derivative from this freedom in one way or another. I mean, here, here, are some, here are seven short statements that flesh out what I mean by God's freedom. Number one, he's absolutely free to do whatever he wants to do. Two, he has the right to deal with us in any way he chooses. Three, he doesn't have to treat me the way he treats my next-door neighbor. Four, he doesn't have to treat me today the way he treated me yesterday. Five, he can answer my prayers any way he chooses. Six, he will not tolerate any rivals to his throne. That, by the way, is one of the clearest themes of the Bible. There is only one God, and he demands our exclusive worship. After reminding the Jews that he had delivered them from Egypt, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? No other gods, period. God is number one, and there is no number two. And here's the seventh one. He's not obligated to live up to my expectations or to explain himself to me. This may be the most important statement regarding God's freedom. He doesn't bind himself to do what we expect him to do. As a matter of fact, God continually surprised his people in the Bible. He threw Adam and Eve out of the garden, then made garments to cover their nakedness. He sent a flood and then gave Noah a rainbow. He parted the Red Sea, arranged for daily delivery of manna and quail, and then had the sons of Korah swallowed up by the earth. Jesus rebuked Peter, allowed him to see the transfiguration, predicted his betrayal, restored him, and then predicted the way he'd die. Everything happened just as God promised, but nothing worked out the way the people expected. Yes, God is the God of great surprises. And he doesn't have to explain himself to us. I mean, there are many questions I know we'd all like to ask. I mean, I have a handful of my own. But almost all our questions revolve around suffering and sadness, the death of loved ones, and times of personal disappointment at this time of the year, presidential elections. I may have found that the greater the sadness, the less likely we are to fully understand it. Small things we can figure out on our own. Great losses are hidden in the mind and the heart of God. Deuteronomy 29:29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Friends, there's nothing we have, not even our praise and worship, that adds in, in the least to who God is. He did not create us because he had a lack in himself, as if we were created as if you know, God were somehow lonely. To per- paraphrase uh, A.W. Tozer, um, were every person on earth to become an atheist, it would not affect God in any way. Well, the belief or disbelief of the human race cannot change the reality of who God is. To believe in him adds nothing to his perfection. To doubt him takes nothing away. He rules all things, everywhere, at all times. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing is beyond his control. He is beyond time and space, and yet he controls them both. As preacher Ravi Zacharias said, Time is the brush with which God paints his story on the canvas of human history. Eternity is the perspective from which we view the painting. His yes, friends, this is our God. And as we ponder God, we eventually are led to the very humbling truth, one that is not mentioned often and is hardly believed when it is taught, and that is this, God does not need us for anything. If any concept flies in the face of contemporary American Christianity, this is it. Down deep inside, most of us want to feel that we are important and necessary. And we like to think that God must have needed us or else why would he have created us? In the absolute sense, God doesn't need anything or anyone. He doesn't create us because he was lonely and he didn't save us because heaven was empty. He does not need our worship or our obedience or our missionary service or our prayers or anything else we do in order to be God. There is no lack of any kind with him. This is a very humbling and, for some people, a very frustrating truth. But ask yourself this question. Do you really think God can't get along without you? I mean, what if your entire church just disappeared, you know, poof, just like that? I mean, what if they had never existed? Do you think the universe depends on you or that church for survival? Oh, hardly. When the Pharisees told Jesus to rebuke his cheering disciples as he entered Jerusalem for the final time, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You see, if he wants to, God can raise the trees to clap their hands and the mountains to sing out his praises. He can make the rocks sing his praises, too, if he wants to. That God created us is an act of his sovereign will. That we are saved is a miracle of his sovereign grace. That he accepts our worship and rewards our obedience as a miracle of sovereign love. Now, I recognize that there is much more we need to know about who God is than I I could say in just a short period of time. I mean, the Bible is filled with rich truth about our Heavenly Father. As we move through and talk, we're going to talk more in in the weeks ahead, I think, about, about his mercy and grace. However, it's crucial that we get ourselves firmly grounded in the truth of God's absolute, unquestioned, total, f- totally free sovereignty. Several years ago, while attending a, an evening worship service at Angola Prison in Louisiana, I heard an inmate pastor say, actually he shouted this over and over, God do what he want to do. Well, that's terrible grammar, but excellent theology. God does exactly as he pleases all the time, everywhere, in every situation. In all parts of the universe, always has, always will. In a profound profound sense, his ultimate will is always being done. He's God. That's the way it has to be. As I've, I've pondered this truth of God's freedom, many applications come to mind. Properly understood, it ought to lead us to a calm confidence in God, even in the midst of unspeakable tragedy. And it should make us bold in our witness and strong in our prayers. And if we believe this, we will find the strength to persevere over the long haul, knowing that even our foolish mistakes cannot cancel God's plan for us. All of that is true, but it does not seem to touch the core issue. There's a fundamental choice that each of us must make each and every day. It goes something like this. We can reject this first law and decide to fight against it. But that rebellion leads inevitably to anger, bitterness, despair, and finally to a hardened heart. So these seem to be our choices, rejection and anger, or submission and praise. The paradox, however, is this. People who rebel against God usually do so in the name of freedom. They want the freedom to go their own way and follow their own desires, to do what they want, when they want, with anyone they choose to do it with. Ironically, this kind of freedom leads only to slavery. They end up enslaved to sin, chained to addictive behaviors, locked in the prison house of unrelenting guilt and shame. I mean, there's no freedom in rebelling against God. There's only slavery. But when we submit ourselves to our Heavenly Father, when we finally say, Lord, you are God, and I am not, when we bow before him through our tears if necessary, then and only then do we discover true freedom. This is what Jesus meant when he said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Those whom the Son sets free are free indeed. Our basic problem is that we have allowed God to be everywhere but on his throne. I mean, no wonder we're unhappy and frustrated and unfulfilled. No wonder life doesn't work right. How much better to say, like the psalmist, come, let us bow down in worship, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Friends, there's there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is. Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if that day is coming, then why not get a head start and bow your knee and confess that God is God and Jesus is your Lord. And here's the good news, if you really mean it, then you can take a deep breath and go and rip that big G off your sweatshirt. You don't have to be God anymore. Let God be God and all will be well. Perhaps some of us need to say, Oh God, you win. The battle is over. I'm going to stop fighting you. If you need to say that, I'd say to do it right now. There's abundant joy for those who will admit the most fundamental truth in the universe. God is God, and we are not. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.